Matthew chapter 4, if I didn't say that, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, page 997, uh, if you have an old Schofield Bible, and I'll read a verse here in just a moment. Uh, I heard about this old man that was riding along on a moped, and this young guy on a motorcycle pulled up beside of him. And he asked him, he said, How be, old man, would you like to race? And old guy said, well, yeah, I guess, so fine with me. And that old guy, uh, that, old, that young guy tore off on that motorcycle. I mean, dirt flying, dust flying, tore off, I mean, and just took off out there, in the few, out there down the road. And, um, and, and he looked in his rear, ver, rear view mirror, and that old boy on that uh, moped was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Then he looked back a little bit later and he was getting bigger, 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 and bigger till he flew past him. And he got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Then a little bit later he come back again, bigger, 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 bigger. And then he went behind him, he got smaller, smaller, smaller. This went on several times. Finally that old guy on that motorcycle, guy on that motorcycle pulled over and, and that old man on that uh, moped puddled up there just a little bit and he just, he just fell over. He said, old man, are you okay? He said, yes, sir. He said, but could uh, somebody unhook my suspenders from your handlebars? <laughs> so I don't know how your week has been, whether it's been bigger, 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 or smaller, 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 smaller. And maybe this Wednesday night we can just get unhooked from the handlebars. Amen. I am glad you're here. I hope you're having a good week. Let's read Matthew chapter 4. I want to begin reading with verse number 1, and I'll just read down through verse 4 again, just kind of just getting our minds in gear toward what I want to talk about. Verse 1. You may remember that I started preaching through the Gospel of Matthew back some time ago, and in chapter 1 we talked a little bit about the ancestry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And then we talked about in chapter 2 about the arrival of our Savior. And then in chapter 3, we talked a little bit about the announcer of our Savior. But then when we come to chapter 4, we deal with the adversary of our Savior. You might as well know if Jesus himself had an adversary that you and I are going to have an adversary as well. If he had the audacity, if he was so brazen to tempt the Lord Jesus, you better know he's going to come knocking at your door and knocking at my door as well. Now, the Bible said in chapter 4, verse number 1, right after the baptism of Jesus. You know, that had to be one of those red-letter days in the life of our Savior when he was baptized there by old John the Baptist in the Jordan River. In fact, when he got baptized, you know, the heavens opened up back up there in verse 16 of chapter 3. And the Bible said the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended down like a dove and all of a sudden there came this voice from heaven saying this is my beloved Son in whom what a red letter day in the life of the Lord Jesus. What a blessing that day that he was baptized must have been to him. But how many of us know that when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us the devil opens the gates of hell to blast us. And what we have here in this text in chapter 4 is the, is the temptation uh, of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there. What about that? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Bible said when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. I can go a little step further. He could have commanded those stones to be made T-bone steaks if he'd wanted to. Nothing's too hard for our God to do, is it? If God can cause a water, a rock, to follow his people through the wilderness and them drink fresh, refreshing, cool, refreshing water out of that rock for years and over two million, two to three million people get enough water to sustain life, surely God can command uh, stones to be turned into bread. That's no problem at all. 
You know, if he can take a meager handful of, uh, take a fish fillet and feed 5,000, I mean, my soul, surely he can turn the stones into bread. But he's tempting Jesus. And then he comes to verse number 4, and Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. With that one statement, Jesus gives legitimacy to every word of God. You know, I'm glad that I'm one of those that believes that every word in the Bible is inspired by God. You know, I, I'm not smart enough to figure out if it came down to the point that we reached the point and somebody said, well, some of the Bible's inspired and some of it's not inspired. I'm not smart enough to figure out which, crap, which words are and which words aren't. I'm just glad I just believe in the simplicity and the faith of my mind. The Bible, all of it, is inspired of God, every bit of it. By the way, I don't even believe the, I, I believe, uh, I know the red word, you know, my Bible, I have an old Schofield, and verse number four is in red, uh, I guess signifying that Jesus spoke these words. But I'm glad, man, before Jesus ever came, the Bible was still the inspired word of God. We believe that. Well, we're currently right now in a series of sermons that we're talking about great words of the Bible that every child of God should know. And, of course, this series of messages, is, as, the, as the title obviously suggests, is that we're just trying to get a hold of some Bible words as uh, we live out these last days upon the earth. Now, I think all of us in here know that God desires for us as His people to be familiar with our Bible, to have a working knowledge of the Word of God. You know, it's amazing how many people have been saved for years and years and they still don't know what is and what is not in the Bible. In fact, I believe that the reason so many of these cults are, are, are growing as they are is because so many of God's people get swept up in the nonsense of these cults because they don't have an understanding of what is and is not in the Bible. You know, we're cautioned in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive us. That's not who we are as God's people. Hey, I tell you, the Jehovah Witness ought not to be able to come by the house and mess us up. If you've been saved any amount of time, I get it. If you're a new convert, man, you really don't know what, you know, the Bible, really a whole lot about the Bible. I get all that. But people has been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. We ought to know what the Bible has to say. And, and we're looking at God's Word just to kind of acquaint ourselves with some of the great words of the Bible. We ought to be able, when people ask us, we ought to be able, 1 Peter 3, 15, to give every man an answer uh, for the reason that is the hope that lieth within us with meekness and fear. Now, I know not everybody has all the answers. I guess the only person in the whole world has got all the answers, the Lord Jesus himself. I don't have all the answers, but buddy, I ought to have enough of the knowledge of the Bible tucked away in my heart that when somebody comes along, I can give them a good testimony of why I believe what I believe and why I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And that's the whole intent of these messages, just to acquaint us with some great words in our Bible. Now, I understand, like you do, that the Bible was not written, was not written originally in the English language. I get all that. Our Hebrew, our Old Testament was basically written in the language of Hebrew with a few chapters over the book of Daniel thrown in in Aramaic. Our New Testament was written in Greek. We understand all that, but we're using our English alphabet kind of to give us an outline so we can go by as we look at some of these great 
great Bible words. And so far, we have been from the letter A, and tonight we go all the way down to the letter L in our English alphabet. So we're thinking about great words of the Bible that begin with the letter L. Now, of course, we know we have two books in our Bible that begin, or three books, two in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that begin with the letter L. The uh, Old Testament book of Leviticus, that's an L book in our Bible, Leviticus. Uh, that book basically is about the sacrificial system and the priest and, and the special days, the special holidays that were in the land of Israel, the book of Leviticus. And then, of course, we come over several books and we hit the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And boy, in that book, Jeremiah sitting on a hillside outside of what used to be the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonians have attacked it and tore it to pieces. And there he sits on a hillside full of, full of uh, uh, bitter tears. He's lamenting the destruction. Watching the kids, I just read through that book. They're walking through the streets of what used to be the city of Jerusalem. They can't even find anything to eat. What a sad book the book of the Lamentations is. And then when we come on the New Testament, we have one final book in our Bible that starts with the letter L, and that's the Gospel of Luke. What a great book the Gospel of Luke is. Luke's the only Gentile writer out of the 30, out of the uh, 40 men that wrote the book of the Bible. The only Gentile writer of all those books is an old boy by the name of Luke. So we have the Gospel of Luke. And then again, when I went looking for some good Bible words, once again I found out that most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter L are either the names of people or the names of places. Here's some, listen, here's some good people. I say not good people. Here's some good stories in our Bible of some people whose name begins with the letter L. The first man we run into the Bible that has an L name is a man by the name of Lamech. I don't know if you've ever, and I know you've read about him. He's the first man in our Bible that had two wives. First man. Had two wives. Killed somebody. Old Lamech did and was actually bragging about it. Uh, old Lamech. And he had two wives, first man in the Bible, first polygamist in the Bible that had two wives, old Lamech. And then, of course, we run just a few chapters over. We run into another old boy. What a, what a sad case it was by the name of Lot. How many of y'all remember the story of Lot? There he was. I'm telling you, been brought up in the home of Abraham, godly Abraham. And yet, they, they had a falling out. They went their separate ways. He wound up down in, in Sodom and destroyed not only his life, but the life of his family. And he lost everything that he had. Lot, what a sad story that is. We read over a few chapters over again in the book of Genesis. And we come to an old boy by the name of Laban. You say, Laban. Laban was the, uh, uh, was the brother of, of, uh, of uh, Rebekah. You may remember the story there. He was the brother of, uh, uh, of Rebekah. We go over another book. We run into an old boy by the name of Levi. He was the brother of Moses and the head of the priestly tribe of the nation of Israel. Then we come in the New Testament. There are others, but in the New Testament, we run into one of the most unusual men in all the Bible. He never said a word. And yet God greatly used that man. We don't have one word recorded that he ever said in the Bible, probably because he lived with two sisters. <laughs> Boy, are you married yet? You don't even know what you're talking about yet. Lazarus. 
Lazarus was that old boy that stayed dead for four days. Remember, he got sick. Jesus showed up four days later, went out to the graveyard and raised him back to life after 96 hours. And then, of course, I mentioned old Luke. He was the doctor. He was the one who followed Paul around and ministered to him. And also, uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And then, not to leave the ladies out, we have some great ladies in our Bible as well, whose name begins with the letter L. What about this one? Her name was Leah. She was the unloved wife of old Jacob. Yeah, Leah. Don't you feel sorry for her? She was the unloved wife of, of Jacob. Then in the New Testament, we have a lady by the name of Lois, the grandmother of Timothy, and Lydia, the seller of purple from Thyra, Tyra, where Paul went down by the riverside and preached, and she got gloriously saved and probably became one of the charter members of the church of Philippi. Her name was Lydia. We also have some very prominent places in our Bible that begin with the letter L. I'll mention two. What about a place called, in a place called Lodibar. Remember Lodibar in the Old Testament? And what a place that was. That's where old Mephibosheth lived, remember? And the place of no hope, the place of no bread. And then in the New Testament, we have a sad place by the name of Laodicea. Well, wasn't that sad? That church of Laodicea had shut Jesus on the outside and he's knocking on the door trying to get into the very church that he died for. Oh, may it never be said of our church that we shut Jesus out. Oh, we never, hey, listen, we never want to close him out. We never want to program him out. We never want to plan him out. In fact, we want to give him the preeminence, don't we? We just don't want him to have a place in our church. We don't want him just to have prominence in our church. We want him to be preeminent. He deserves to be number one. Amen. Not just resident, but president. Amen. Laodicea. Most words in the Bible that begin with the letter L are either names of people or places. But never fear. I have found enough words to make a sermon out of them. So here we go. Let's talk about this L word first of all, and that is the word law. Law. If somebody comes up to you tomorrow and says, uh, what is the law. What would you say? Well, the word law is mentioned 517 times in our Bible. That tells us it is a very, very important, prominent word in our Bible. The word law is used in a variety of ways in the Bible. Sometimes it is used in the family relationship, like an in-law, a law, in-law. In fact, the first time the word law appears in the Bible is Genesis 11, verse 31, where Sarah the wife of Abraham, is referred to as the daughter-in-law of Terah, which was Abraham's dad. Sometimes in the Bible, the word law is used in terms of being a relative. Other times in the Bible, the word law is used as a, just another name for the word of God. You see, sometimes in the Bible, God's word is called God's law. In the Bible. In fact, over in the book of Psalms chapter 1, that great psalm, we read these words, but his delight, talking about that man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, or standeth in the way of the sinner, but his, light, his, his delight's in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word of God. A little bit later in Psalms 19 and verse 7, we read words like this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Sometimes in the Bible, the word law is referred to as a, uh, used in the sense of being a relative. you got in-laws. And uh, then sometimes in the Bible, it's just used as another word for the, for the, the Bible. 
But more often than not in the Bible, when we run into the word law, it is in reference to the law of God. The various commands that God has given to, uh, to his people throughout the Bible in order for that people to lead and live a holy life. Now, God gave these commands. God gave these commands. God gave the law to and through Moses, the great leader of Israel. Did you know the first five books of your Bible? Sometimes people call it the Pentateuch, but a lot of people call it the Torah. Look the word Torah up. It means the law of the Lord. There are 613 laws, 613 commands that are given in the Old Testament. Those 613 commands or laws can be condensed down into what you and I know better as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Now, I think you know all those, and I'm completely paraphrasing them. Let me give them to you. No other gods before God. No idols in your life. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness and do not covet. So those 613 laws are condensed down into 10 laws. But when we come into the New Testament, Jesus broke it all the way down to only two laws. In fact, when Jesus was asked on one occasion, what is the greatest commandment? Maybe we could say it like this. What is the greatest law in the Bible? Here's what Jesus said about that. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Love God. This is the first and great commandment. So Jesus said, if you, want to, if you just want to break it all down, love God with everything you got. Then he goes on and says this, but the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now really what we've just done is we've taken on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophet. What we've just done now is we've taken those ten commandments and we've broken them down into two very simple commandments. Did you know if you love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, uh, if you love God like you're supposed to, you won't have any other gods before you. You won't have an idol. You won't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And number four, you'll remember the Lord's day and keep it holy. And then if you love your neighbor as yourself, listen now, you won't kill them. You won't steal from them. You won't run off with their wife. You won't covet what they got. What's the rest of them I just said? You won't, you won't uh, bear false witness against them. So really all the, the, the laws of God can be broken down into those two great commandments. By the way, it may interest you to know that God never gave us the law with the intentions of the law saving us. Can I tell you something? Nobody in here can live by the law of God. The law was given by God to show us how far short, or if I could use Bible terminology, how we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reason God gave the law to the nation of Israel, the reason God gave the law to start with was not so that men could try to keep the law in order to be saved. God gave the law in order that man can see how far short they've come and the law is their teacher to teach them how that they're not right with God and they need a Savior in the person of the Lord Jesus. That's the reason we read over in the book of uh, Galatians chapter 3. The Bible said the law was our what? Our schoolmaster. What was the law? It was our teacher. 
to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Can I tell you something? Go back to those 10 commandments. Just set aside the 613. Go to those 10. Every one of us in this building have broken all 10 of those commandments. Every last one of us have. And the Bible said, if, or let me say it like this, if we have broken one, we're guilty of breaking them all. James tells us that. We have the, That law was given to show us how sinful we are. That law was given to us to show us how wrong we are. That law was given to us to show us how wicked we are and how much we need the Savior. It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So we have a great word in our Bible called the law to teach us of our need for the Savior. Now, since we're right there at the law, let's follow that word up with a second word. And that's this word, the word legalism. Now, i got to confess to you, I want to be right up front with you and confess to you that the word legalism or the word legalist is not found in our Bible, at least not in name. But I will tell you this, if you remember, there were several occasions in our New Testament where there were people who went right in behind the Apostle Paul and told his converts who had been saved by grace, who told his converts that he had won to Christ. Now, okay... You put your faith in the Lord Jesus, but now you need more than just faith in the Lord Jesus to save you. That's what they were teaching in Paul's day. They, they, uh, uh, they were telling these people, okay, you put your faith in Jesus, that's good, but you're going to have to be circumcised, and you're going to have to keep the law of God if you really want to be saved. And buddy, these people went in right behind old Paul, and they started adding works to salvation. And, uh, you know, that really, that, that debate, that, 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 that debate about how a person gets saved was really a major fight that broke out in church in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter number 15, there was a fight that broke out between Paul and some of the legalists back in those days called Judaizers who fell in behind Paul and was trying to tell people, all right, what Paul preaches, all that's good and fine, and, and Jesus is good, but now if you, if you really want to be saved, you've got to have more than just Jesus. You've got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And they added works to salvation. And uh, there was a big fight about it. Let's read about it. Acts chapter 15, verse 5, but there was certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful. Uh, to, to circumcise them, the converts that had gotten saved, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Went on to say this, and the apostles and elders came together to consider, to consider, for to consider this, this matter. So they all got together and they had this great council, this great, uh, buddy, I'm telling you, it got hot in there. I mean, veins was popping in necks and eyeballs was budging and face was, faces were red. I mean, they were going at it. Well, Paul was saying, man, Jesus is all you need to be saved. Put your faith in Jesus. And this other crowd said, no, you can't just get to heaven simple by faith. You got to be circumcised. You got to try to keep the law of Moses. And when the whole thing got hashed out, here's what they said. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? Truth of the matter is, what you need to get into heaven is Jesus. You know, Paul wrote a book in our Bible called the book of Galatians. And the whole reason that he wrote the book of Galatians is because 
of that crowd that came in right behind him. Paul went over to Galatia, and Galatia was not just a city. It was like a province, and it consisted of several cities like Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And he went there preaching the gospel, and folks got saved, and they started a church, several churches right there, uh, no doubt, in the area of Galatia. Well, Paul left to go into other areas, and these legalists fell right in behind Paul, and they came right out, and they started spreading, spreading that heresy. Hey, you're saved? Put your faith in Jesus, but if you really want to be saved, you've got to do more than just that. You've got to keep the law, and you've got to be circumcised. You need more than Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When Paul got word that that crowd had fell in behind him over at Galatia, and those Galatian Christians were following that crowd, it broke Paul's heart. It broke his heart. That's the reason he said this right here. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you'd have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Paul said, man, we had such a great relationship. There was a time you'd have pulled your eyes out and handed them to me. Paul said there was a time we were tight. There was a time that, that we were thick. He went on to say in verse number 16, am I therefore become your enemy? Because I'm telling you the truth. You know, sometimes people have a tendency to get mad at you in church and, and then they get mad at you because you preach to them and uh, you want to just look at them and say, man, am I your enemy just because I'm telling you what's true? Sometimes when I talk to people in the office and try to help them, they blow up and get mad at me. And I say, man, I want to say, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And Paul said, I've told you the truth. I can't believe you have turned on me this fast. And then to bring the whole matter to a close, he simply said this in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. In other words, Paul said that word frustrate means to mix. Paul said, I don't mix the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, I just want to tell you, everything Jesus did on the cross is in vain. Ladies and gentlemen, to get into heaven, you come through Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. You can't add baptism to salvation to add uh, more salvation. You don't join the church to be saved. You don't uh, do good works to be saved. I think you ought to join the church. I think you ought to get baptized. I think you ought to do good, good works. I think you ought to do all those things. But first of all, you need Jesus because you can't get into heaven without Jesus. We can't. When Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. When he said that, done. He was just telling us, man, there's nothing else needed to be put to it. It has been concluded. He and he alone is sufficient to get us into heaven. Jesus, let me say it like this. Jesus is the open sesame to the gate of heaven. He's the password. The only password that can get you in to heaven. I read this story, and you know those St. Peter jokes, but I read this story. It goes something like this. This man dies, and he goes to heaven, and he gets to the gate, and there stands old Peter there. And uh, Peter asked him, said, would you like to go in? The man said, oh, most definitely. He said, let me ask you a question. Why in the world should I permit you entrance into heaven? And the man told him this story. He said, well, he said, one time I was in this restaurant, and he said, this biker gang was there. And he said, when I walked in, man, it's a rough crowd. This old biker gang was there, and I walked in, and they were picking on this little old lady sitting up at the counter. And he said, I watched it, and I watched it until finally I just got, I just, I had enough. And he said, I went up there to that biker gang, and I took him by the shoulder, and I spun him around. And I looked at that old boy, and I said, let her alone. Why don't you pick on somebody your own size like me? 
Then he says, as a matter of fact, I told him, best thing they could do is for them to get on their bikes and beat it before something bad happened to them. Peter said, wow, that is a great story. He said, when did that happen? He said, about three minutes ago. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You don't get into heaven by saving little old ladies. You, you don't get into heaven because you, you do the best you can. You don't go to heaven because you try to right all the injustices of the world. You don't go to heaven because you give blood at the blood drive. You don't go to heaven because you give money or anything else for that matter. You go to heaven simply because you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Amen and amen. Legalism, adding stuff to salvation. Legalism. Here's a third word we want to talk about. Boy, this is going to get you now. All right? Here's a third word. So we got law, we got legalism. Oh, my brother. Oh, how do we even say that one? Lasciviousness. Now, what in the world is lasciviousness? Boy, that's a big word. It's only used six times in the Bible. But can I tell you something? That word is just as big a problem in the church today as legalism is. Lasciviousness. Let me tell you what the word means. Now, so I know we're a Wednesday night crowd, so don't fall out of your chair. But the word simply means this, sexual desires without limits, without boundaries. You know, that pretty much sums up the society and the world that we're living in today. Is it not amazing anymore what they put on television? Is it not amazing some of the stuff that they're putting on TV anymore? Can I tell you something? Our world has gone sex crazy. Our world is a, is, a, is a world that is filled with sexual desires, without limits, without boundaries. And the Bible word for that is lasciviousness. Now, I really believe this with all my heart. God has given every man a built-in desire for a woman. I believe that with all my heart. God has given every man a built-in desire for a woman. God has given. We believe that, don't we? God's given every man a built-in desire for a woman. God's given every woman a built-in desire for a man. It is God who gives us our, our desire for the opposite sex. God put that within us. God gave us our sexual desires. I, I believe that with all of my heart. I used to think the devil is the one who created sex. I used to think when God had his back turned, he was creating the world and he had his back turned. It was the devil that slipped into the Garden of Eden and got Adam and Eve in all that trouble and the forbidden fruit was a sexual relationship that Adam and Eve had. Then I got to read my Bible that God created the male and female, and then God is the one who brought them together, and then God looked at that male and female and said, all right, now y'all be fruitful and multiply. God has given us our desires for the opposite sex. Every man in this room ought to have a desire for his wife, and every woman in this room ought to have a desire, by the way, not somebody else's wife, and every woman in this room ought to have a desire for her husband. So God gave us these sexual desires, and then he says this to us. Look at this. Amazing. God said this. Now, concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, wait a minute. Hold on just a minute. So God gave us this, these desires. He put that within us. And then he looks at us and said, all right, now don't you touch. Is that not setting us up for the fall? 
God said, all right, I'm going I'm to give you a desire for the opposite sex, but now whatever you do, don't you touch her. It almost seems like God would be cruel to put that in us and then say, all right, now, but don't you, I'm listening to me now, don't you touch her. Don't you touch him. So God fixed it because here's what he did. Nevertheless, to avoid all types, all types of unlawful sexual activity, nevertheless, to avoid all that, what I'm going to do is, hey, fellas, I'm going to give you all a wife. And ladies, I am going to give you a husband. And God intends for us to find our sexual fulfillment inside of the bed of marriage. Now, any time we step outside of the bed of marriage trying to find sexual fulfillment, we've broken the law of God. We've went against God's desire, God's will for our life. I don't care what century it is, 21st, 20th, 22nd, 99th. It don't matter to me. I don't care what they're saying in Hollywood. It, I don't care what they're doing in Nashville, bless God, Washington, New York City, wherever it might be. I don't care. I don't care what they're singing on the radio. I don't care what they're playing on TV. God still says for a man and a woman to find their pleasure, as far as that goes, inside of the bed of marriage. And if we step outside of that bed, whether it be extramarital sex, non-marital sex, or, or, uh, or, or, or premarital sex, it is wrong in the sight of God. It's still wrong. It always has been and always will. Amen. Amen, preacher. Amen, preacher. That's the truth. Uh, can I just stop and say this? It's amazing to me. In our day, how many men are hooked on pornography? Can I tell you something, guys? When you get hooked on that mess and you step outside of the bed of marriage to find your sexual pleasure, you done broken the law of God. You're defrauding your wife. You are, you are breaking the law of God. And I'm telling you, uh, when we get hooked up on that stuff, uh, man, it, it's, it's against the will of God for our life. It is unbelievable how this has crept into our churches today. It is unstinking. And that's bad when it's stinking. And it is stinking. But it's unbelievable how many men sit in our churches on Sunday night and Wednesday night and Sunday morning that are hooked on pornographies. These telephones with internet accessibility without any accountability are killing us. I just want to tell every parent in here, if you hand your kid a phone that has internet access to them, you might as well be handing them a coiled up rattlesnake, hand it to them without any, uh, any, any accountability there whatsoever. Buddy, you, you might as well just be handing them a rattlesnake. I mean, surely unto God you got more sense than that. If you got a computer sitting in your house, load that thing unto God, load it down with all kind of blocks, or better yet, just have the stupid mess taken out so it don't mess your life up. It is so sad. Somebody said, well, preacher, I just want you to tell you, I really don't look at the hardcore porn. I, I look at the softcore porn. Well, let me tell you something. You look this way, bless God. A butter knife will kill you just as good as a butcher knife will. So I said, oh, man, pornography is, is covered under the First Amendment. Let me tell you something, bless your heart. Pornography may have a whole lot of defenders, but it has no defense whatsoever. Amen, amen and amen. amen. I'm not saying that everybody that looks at pornography is a sexual deviant 
but I am saying that every sexual deviant looks at pornography. Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy down in the state of Florida, they executed him many years ago, but he said before he died in an interview with James Dobson, and I don't know whatever you think about him is immaterial, but in that interview he said, had it not been for pornography, he would have not have turned out to have been the person that he was. He said it was the fuel that lit his fire. If Ted Bundy said that, under God, I want to stay as far away from that mess as I can stay away from it. Can I have an amen? Lasciviousness, what are we, we've lost our mind. I mean, it's just whatever feels good. We've got the mentality of a dog. If it just feels good, just do it. Hey, what about the Bible? What about what God said about it? Boy, we better keep ourselves clean and pure and stay out of that mess, that lasciviousness unbridled, unlawful, without boundaries, sexual activity. I know it's Wednesday night. You didn't come to hear this, but you just didn't know what you was coming to hear tonight. Lasciviousness, legalism, law. And can I close on a good one? What about this one? Ha. Lord. Lord. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not just Savior. Jesus is Lord. I know people have got to grow in grace, and I get all that stuff, but let me just say this. When you receive him as Savior, you receive him as Lord. Amen. He's not just my Savior. Boy, I'm glad he's going to keep me out of hell. I'm glad he changed my life, but can I tell you something? He's my master. I don't tell the master what he's going to do. He tells me what I'm going to do. He's Lord. Sunday. I don't tell him where I'm going to be on Sunday. He doesn't tell me where I'm supposed to be. I don't tell him if I'm going to bring my tithe on stewardship Sunday. Hello. I don't tell him, I ain't got it this week, Lord. Just forget it. I don't have it. No, 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 no. No, he gives it to me. He says, you, it's stewardship Sunday. He's the Lord. I'll be back on Sunday night. You know why? He said so. Lord willing, if I'm alive, well, I'll be back next Wednesday night, Lord willing. You know why? He said so. He's Lord. He's not just, come on, help me now. A lot of people want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. How in the world do you separate the Savior from the Lord? I get it. We got to grow into it. I get it. Not everybody, you know, just snaps into it. There's a progress of grace. I get all that. But I just want to tell you, when you receive him as Savior, you get him as Lord. He ain't like a buffet line at K&W. Meat, bread. It ain't like you go down through there. Well, I want some of this Savior stuff, and I'll have some of this forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I want some of that peace and joy. Oh, yeah. But, you know, something, all that master stuff. I don't want none of that. No, sir. He's Lord of all. Or he ain't Lord at all. He's the Lord. Say it with me. First one is what? Second one, you better not miss this third one. Go. And last of all, great L words in our Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible, the Word of God.